0: You're listening to a Tutor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference podcast. The 10th Annual Tutor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at the Royal Irish Academy on the 19th and 20th of August 2022. The conference was generously supported by the Royal Irish Academy and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the conference was recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with History Hub. You can access the archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Tim Heenu from Kylemore Abbey and Gardens, entitled The Nuns of Kylemore Abbey and Their Connection to James II.
1: Just for anyone who isn't aware of Kylemore uh, Abbey, so Kylemore uh, is at present one of the uh, most popular tourist attractions in Ireland. It was originally built as a country estate by Mitchell Henry, who was an English industrialist and politician. Um, and it now welcomes hundreds of thousands of visitors a year, as well as still hosting uh, Ireland's only community of Benedictine nuns. But uh, although the sisters have been resident in Kylmore now for over 100 years, um, their history goes way back before that. Um, The community, as it is in Kylmore, was originally founded in Ypres, in what is now modern-day Belgium, uh, in 1665. Uh, So Ypres was the last of a series of Benedictine abbeys that was founded all across the Low Countries in the aftermath of the dissolution of the monasteries in uh, 1536. Um, So Lady Mary Percy founded the first uh, English Benedictine monastery in Brussels in 1598 and from that monastery a series of other houses were founded from us, uh, such as one in Ghent founded in 1624, uh, in Boulogne in 1658, in Pontois in uh, 1658 as well and Dunkirk in 1662 and Kylemore and Ypres was the last one to be founded in 1665 and in 1682 Ypres was made a house specifically for Irish Benedictine nuns in exile and Irish uh, Benedictines who are in all of the other houses uh, across the low countries were invited to join and comprise the community in Ypres So, the first uh, Irish abbess of Ypres was Lady Abbess Flavia Carey. Uh, She held the position for four years before she was succeeded by Lady Abbess Mary Joseph Butler. Now, she was a daughter of Toby Butler of Callan in County Tipperary, and she would have been a cousin of James Butler, the second Duke of Ormond, which will be important later. Uh, she became a nun in 1657 at the age of 14, and she was elected abbess of Yep in 1683. Now at that time, the abbesses of Yep would have had to deal with a lot of issues, uh, being in charge of uh, houses in exile, um, being in quite a financially precarious situation. Uh, most of their finances at that time uh, came through education. Uh, The sisters would have set up schools across all the Benedictine foundations that would have educated the daughters of the Catholic gentry in England and Ireland, allowing their daughters to get the Catholic education that was unavailable to them um, in uh, Britain and Ireland at that time. Um, But the Stuart uh, connection to the Benedictine order, uh, that began as the Stuarts began to lose their grip and and power on Britain Uh, in the aftermath of the Battle of Worcester in 1651. Uh, King Charles II was forced to undergo a perilous journey in the aftermath of that battle uh, to escape after that back to the continent. And one of those who provided assistance to Charles in that was a Benedictine priest by the name of Father John Huddleston. And he spent some time with Charles while he was in hiding in different uh, country houses Uh, across England, and over that time he began kind of stirred the beginnings of an interest in uh, in Catholicism and also in the Benedictine order, especially um, in Charles. Um, So in their time in exile, um, both of the Stuarts, Charles and James, would have had various different encounters with uh, religious houses of all different denominations in exile, including the Benedictines, and one house that the Stuarts visited often was the Benedictine House in Ghent, where the abbess there, Lady Abbess Natchbull, was actively campaigning on their behalf, uh, corresponding with royalist sympathisers in England and acting as a, co- a conduit to the Stuart court in exile. Um, both Charles and James called on. Uh, Lady Alice Natchable before they, they left uh, for England for the restoration and in the aftermath of that they also made several uh, cash donations to, uh, to, the, to the Abbey there. Uh, both Charles and James uh, enabled their family connections and fondness for the Benedictines to continue. As both uh, one of Charles's daughters, uh, the Lady Barbara FitzRoy, and one of James's daughters, uh, Lady uh, Lady Arabella FitzJames, were both educated in the Benedictine house in Pontoise, and both joined the Benedictine order there as nuns, although unfortunately uh, both women did not long survive after uh, they joined the orders there. Uh, but when restored to the, the English crown, Charles was able to distance himself from his continental dealings with the the Catholic religious orders as he recognized the political risks in England of openly associating with them too much. Um, However, his brother uh, James, Duke of York, was somewhat less circumspect uh, in his Catholic leanings. Uh, After the death of his first wife, Anne Hyde, uh, James remarried in 1671 and he married Mary of Modena. Who was a devout Catholic, and it was through having her uh, in the royal apartments he was able to introduce um, Catholic uh, the Catholic mass and Catholic clergy back back into England as a personal um, under the guise of personal uh, uh, personally uh, taking care of her spiritual needs uh, and included in some of those um, Uh, those clergy were Benedictine clergy that were brought over uh, from uh, the several houses in the Low Countries. But uh, political pressure increased on James with the introduction of the Test Act, which meant that all holders of public office must take communion in the Anglican Church on reception uh, within a month of the passing of the Act. And in response to that, James resigned his position as head of the Admiralty, which further increased the belief in England that James indeed did have serious leanings towards Catholicism, and with a a new wife, that there may indeed be a a Catholic heir to the throne um, of Britain and Ireland. Uh, And on his coronation, James was determined to be more public with his uh, religious feelings. Um, While he recognised that inviting the religious houses to return back to England would be Uh, politically unwise, he extended an invitation to Lady Abbess Butler in Ypres to return to Ireland to establish a Benedictine house in Dublin. Uh, To assist that, they were gifted a royal charter from James, which gave them royal protection, an exemption from taxes and tolls, and a £100 annual payment from the Crown. So that charter, uh, the nuns picked up in London on their way to Dublin, where they also stopped to visit Mary of Modena uh, in, the, uh, in Whitehall. And uh, that was, uh, quite, caused quite the stir in London, as it was the first time in close to 150 years that the Benedictine habits that had been publicly seen on the streets of London uh, since the dissolution of the monasteries. So when the community arrived in Dublin, they established a monastery in Great Ship Street, which would be not very far from the rear of Dublin Castle. And there they also established a school, as they had run in Ypres. And there, that proved to be very successful, and Lady Abbess Butler soon had many postulants and many students there as well. Um, however, they didn't have too long to make themselves at home in Dublin uh, before the events of the Glorious Revolution, and James fled to France. Uh, however, the community in Great Shipstreet was relatively unaffected at this time, as most of the popular support for James at this time was in Ireland, and it was in Ireland that James chose to launch uh, a military campaign where he would retake the entire Ireland of Ireland to use that as a springboard to regain the throne of England. Um, and however, although the war continued after the the... uh, significant loss at the Battle of the Boyne, it was in the aftermath of that battle that James uh, fled Ireland never to return. Um, The night after the defeat at the Boyne, James famously spent the night in Dublin Castle before he headed south the next day to board a ship at Waterford, Uh, and although he had been very quick to invite the Benedictines to Dublin, Uh, Although they wouldn't have been too far away from him in Dublin Castle, they clearly weren't to the forefront of his mind when he was leaving. And the sisters there were left to the mercies of the arriving Williamite troops who uh, arrived and ransacked um, their abbey the next day. Uh, Very bravely, one of the Lady Abbess Butler's novices, uh, in disguise, entered the monastery while it was being ransacked and rescued some of their church place and other um, precious items uh, and returned it to, to Lady Abbess, who was in hiding across the streets at the time. Uh, But luckily for Lady Abbess Butler, she sought sought the assistance of her cousin, uh, the Duke of Ormond, who at that time was Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. Uh, He intervened on her behalf, and he received a special dispensation from William William of Orange to allow the community to remain on in Dublin unmolested. Um, However, Lady Abbess Butler could see that such personal guarantees wouldn't protect the Abbey indefinitely, and she rather chose to return with her community to Ypres with safe passage arranged by the Duke of Ormond. Um, The abbess's decision would prove wise as such a guarantee would not have survived after Ormond ended up joining the Jacobite cause in exile in 1715. Uh, Lady Abbess Butler was also wise enough to maintain their original property in Ypres that they were able to return to after they left Dublin. Um, James then established a court in exile in Saint Germain, just outside Paris, and he remained there till his death of a brain hemorrhage in 1701. Uh, however, the death of James did not mean an end of his family's connection with the nuns of Ypres, and the Abbesses of Ypres remained in contact with Mary of Modena until her death in 1718, and the community of Ypres continued to pray for the various different Stuart claimants of the throne up until that line was exhausted in the early 1800s. So many tangible remains of the connection between the community in Yeepe and the Stuarts remain uh, through artefacts and documents that are contained within the Kylemore archive. Uh, For many of these objects, it's difficult to say when they came into the possession of the nuns in Yeep, As it can be seen, they remained in contact with uh, the network of the Stuart Court in exile well into the 1700s and could have been gifted to them any point uh, in that time. So the oldest item in the collection in Kylemore is a piece of lace which had been made by Mary, Queen of Scots, who would have been the great-grandmother of James II. Uh, It is believed that the lace was made during her period of imprisonment by Elizabeth I in the late 1580s. Uh, as it is the oldest item awesome in our collection, it would have already been close to 100 years old before it came into the possession of the Benedictines in Yeap. Um, there's also a set of priest vestments that had been fashioned from a set of trappings that were donated from one of James's horses. Uh, uh, these um, vestments are not in everyday use but they are still yet occasional use for feast days and also for special occasions such as the investiture of a new mother abbess while these um, vestments are not on display at present there is another set of vestments that were donated by uh, Archduchess Isabella of Austria which are on display at present and both of those are rotated through the display in Kylemore every so often um, there is also an original full length portrait of James as well, um, although it is hard to date, we believe that it was painted while either while James was in exile on the continent or while he was serving as Duke of York, as he is dressed quite martially in the, the painting uh, with the coastline in the background and his steel uh, breastplate uh, in full view. Uh, James had a long military career in exile, serving in both French and Spanish service, and he had, was regarded as a competent cavalry commander, uh, although all his, uh, his strategic now seem to have somewhat deserted him uh, when, he, uh, when he took over, with a, when he had a crown on his head. And that portrait is on display to the public uh, in Kylemore at present. Uh, another really interesting piece in our collection is a medal known as the King's Evil so the king's evil comes from the tradition of the healing touch of the monarch so this tradition became best associated with the cure of the skin disease scrofula, and the disease itself actually became known as the king's evil uh, Scrofula is caused by a form of the tuber- tuberculosis bacteria and it presents on uh sufferers as large tumors that spread out from the lymph nodes especially in the neck Um, However, scrofula was known to heal and disappear of its own volition, so that meant it could be very easily associated with a miraculous cure from the touch of a monarch. Uh, The practice was uh, formalized during the the reign of King Edward the Confessor, and it continued up until the reign of King George I. Um, As well as being touched by the monarch, the afflicted person was also given a gold coin or a medal that would have been dipped in the chrism oil used during the monarch's uh, coronation, and that was worn on the person then to help aid the cure. Uh, Originally, uh, coins were used, but eventually special medals were struck by each monarch on their coronation, which were used for this purpose. Um, The medal in Caimor was dispatched to Yeek from Rome in 1751, as was recorded in the correspondence of Lady Avis Mandeville. Um, Despite the fact that uh, her correspondent in Rome claimed that it could only be sent for use of curing anyone who did have the disease scrofula and not to be kept as uh, a memento or trinket, it seems that's exactly what Lady Avis Mandeville had requested for. Uh, among the documents that are exi- uh, still existent in the archives is a 28 page mass booklet from the funeral service of uh, King James II in 1701. So, in the French fashion, uh, at James's funeral, his heart, brain, intestines, and body were all interred separately. Uh, indeed, James' body was interred in the chapel of St. Saint Ed- Saint Edmund in the Church of the English Benedictines in, pa- in Paris, which showed his dedication to the, to the Benedictine order, even unto death. Uh, he was buried in a seal lead coffin, so that it could eventually be moved to his ancestors in Westminster Abbey when the House of Stuart uh, was eventually returned to the throne. Uh, unfortunately, that never happened as that. Uh, was destroyed uh, during the course of the French Revolution. Um, So that document, although not on display at present, is undergoing restoration, and that will be uh, hopefully on display to the public uh, before Christmas. Um, So the the survival of all these artefacts and documents, uh, in a way, is somewhat miraculous. Uh, Ypres was the only one of the aforementioned Benedictine houses to survive the French Revolution. Uh, All of the other houses... Uh, the English houses returned to, uh, were forced to return to, um, to England, uh, but the Irish uh, makeup of the, the community in Ypres uh, spared them from that fate. Um, the abbey itself in Ypres was completely destroyed during the First World War. Uh, before the nuns were forced to evacuate, they hid all of their most precious documents and treasures in a portion of their cellar which they walled up in the hope that they would uh, uh, recover at a later date. Uh, this material was recovered then in 1916 by a Jeju- Jesuit army chaplain by the name of Henry V. Gill, and he returned that material to the nuns who were resident in England at that time. Uh, as if that wasn't enough, the archives also survived a fire that affected Kylemore in 1959, which damaged a large part of the building, but it was halted just before it reached the archive room. So as we've mentioned there, some of this material is now on display in Kylemore. there's a special exhibition room dedicated to the history of the community before they uh, arrived in Kylemore, and it is hoped, uh, as I mentioned there, that more of this material will be available to the public in the future. Um, there's a huge amount of heritage uh, and history on the Kylemore Estate, uh, kind of between with the uh, since the arrival of the nuns in Kylemore in 1920, uh, 1921, and with the, the history of Kylemore from when it was built and run as a country house. Uh, but it's also important that the, the earliest history uh, of the nuns uh, is given its proper place as well, and hopefully going into the future that that will be uh, more prominent, and it'll also allow people. Uh, who are much more skilled than me in what they're talking about to be able to have a look at the material uh, and discuss it into the future. So, uh, thank you very much, folks.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland interdisciplinary conference. You can access the entire archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify.